One of my favorite things about this process that we do call thinking is the way when we put our thoughts before the Lord, he, he connects them. He'll give us one idea that connects to another idea, and then we bring it to him, and then he brings it to another place. And next thing we know, we have this sort of chain linking of thoughts that bring us closer to his presence. I love that. I just get excited about it in almost an overwhelmed way. Well, I want to share with one of those with you today. And here's kind of the basics of it. Um, I really believe that since about the middle of the third century, the two positions that most Christians have taken with regard to the life of the church have been these. It's either to preserve what has been with little change or variation, or on the other hand, to radically revolutionize and try to sort of meet the moment that the church is in, in that moment. Well, late last year, I read something that absolutely captured my attention. It was, to me, sort of a viable third option that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since. And this comes from the writings of a wonderful French thinker, Gustave Thibon, which is also a great French name. And he was writing throughout much of the 20th century. So I want you to listen to this. He wrote, The revolutionary who kills tradition is not better than the Pharisee perpetuating a dead fashion. The Pharisee embalms. The revolutionary cremates. But both operations are carried out upon a corpse. The only wisdom consists in saving the youth of traditions. In essence, what Gustave is saying to us is that the one who tries to hold on to everything of the past and the one who tries to burn it all down to the ground, well, they're both acting like they're dealing with a dead body, not a living body, not the living church of Jesus the Christ. And so Gustave Thibon's point to our hearts is, what if we could get back to the youth, kind of that first blush of traditions that really were the life of the early church? And you know that's kind of a passion point for me, which then begs the question, well, what was it like back then? What was it like? Yes, in the book of Acts, we can read those 28 chapters for ourselves, but what would it have been like to wake up to a Thursday morning in Ephesus at the end of the first century? Well, I want to read to you from the anonymous letter that's called the Epistle to Diognetus. This is from maybe the first, probably almost certainly the second century. Listen to how he describes the ways and means of the early church people. I love this. Just listen. He writes, For the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country, nor language, nor the customs which they observe. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evilly spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and bless. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. 
To sum up all in one word, what the soul is in the body, Christians are in the world. The soul is dispersed through all the members of the body, and Christians are scattered through all the cities of the world. The soul dwells in the body, yet is not of the body, and Christians dwell in the world, yet are not of the world. The invisible soul is guarded by the visible body, and Christians are known indeed to be in the world, but their godliness remains invisible. God has assigned them this illustrious position. Isn't that fascinating? The way that that first generation of believers in Jesus essentially turned every aspect of human life on its head. The natural ways of the flesh were submitted to the glorious thing that is citizenship in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. And I love that last line. God has assigned them this illustrious position. But I started this thought by talking about the way that thoughts connect. So we talk about the youth of traditions. We talk about the way of that first generation. You know what caught my mind there, though? That idea that the Christians then were the soul of the world. They were the ones who actually permeated the world uh, sort of sightlessly with the way of Jesus, which got me thinking about one more crazy thing I read a couple years back. T.E. Lawrence, also known as Lawrence of Arabia, when he was helping the Arab uprisings against the Turks, the way that he described what was essentially guerrilla warfare, he described his work with the Arabs like this. He said that they became an influence, an idea, that they drifted about like a gas, like a vapor blowing wherever we listed. Friends, I think we need to remember each and every day that if we are the soul of Jesus within this world, that we're sort of invisible, that we're in the midst of all and yet with him at the same time, we need to remember that each of our little individual lives is the influence, the idea. It is like this vapor that blows wherever the Holy Spirit lists. So how about this? Let's have you and I recapture the youth of the church. Let's be the individual so full of this life of Jesus that we manifest it right in the midst of the world so that no one can deny the power of his glory. Does that sound like kind of a great idea, a great uh, adventure to be on with him? I think so. Thanks for listening.